foot chase right now, so uh, take it away, host. I like your, you know what, you, you're bringing in the enthusiasm today. I like it. I kind of need it. You're lifting me up a little bit. I like Thank it. Thank you, man. No, you really are. I, I see it, and I genuinely appreciate it. That's not a joke. I'm just trying to be chill as fuck. You are. Like, you're doing it. Uh, I yeah, genuinely yeah. appreciate that. I kind of, I, I didn't realize I needed it a little bit today, but I did, and you're hey. doing it. Hey. No, for real. I appreciate hey. it. Cool. Cool, man. <laughs> Sun. I'm wearing sunglasses literally that, right that now. That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, yeah. You could be wearing sunglasses any old time, and I would feel like that was in character for you. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> also, you've never been that courageous about hats, and I feel like, why not? You know, like, what are, What do you got to lose? Me? You could do more. Me? You could do more with... Yeah, bro. You could, you the could hat, be a hat man? You could be a hat king. I think it's your time. I've been a hat guy my whole life. What are you talking about? No, no, but you've been a you've mostly been a this beanie or a trucker hat guy. You've never tried like what Pretty if you cool. were like an adorable cat hoodie? I don't wear trucker hats though. You could do uh, it. Oh, a cabbie, like a cabbie hat? Yeah, bro. Or well, mm. yes, but I said cat hoodie, but both things are good. <laughs> I don't know either okay. one. Yeah, well, it's a cat, tabby cat and a cabbie hat. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a swam joke. It's like talking to his that clone today. That is a swam joke. Yeah, not a doubt. I think that is a swam yeah. joke. Sure, wow. I can. See, I can see you being a little <laughs> anime kid. I can see it. Yeah, dude. I'm. I'm. I'm total. What do they call them? What do they? <laughs> I, what do they call them? They I don't call know, them the fans weebs? of anime. I don't know the weebs. I could be a weeb. Are they called weebs? I'm terrified know. to use that word. I just used it, but context will help me. I think. <laughs> I did I say something really weird? <laughs> no, it's like, feels a, like an ethnic slur no, if I've ever weeb. heard one. Yeah. It's a non-Japanese person who's obsessed with Japanese culture. Okay. That they wish they were actually Japanese, according to dictionary.com. I, hey, I, let's hear it for the weebs. <laughs> I think that was a song in the 80s, wasn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. It is. You're right. Urban Dictionary. Okay. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if I'll ever use this knowledge again, but I have it now. Yeah, you got it. I have it now. It's now in there. You got it now, baby. Yeah, it's going nowhere. It's sticking yeah. right in there. Maybe wow. I should be a weeb. You know, I'm looking to... <laughs> I can't take this seriously. Add that to your holster of fun. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to try to expand myself into new horizons. Uh, <laughs> and I guess the weeb is the way... It... You know what we should do? We should make the guy uh, our MC for this podcast. We should make sure. him a weeb. Oh, yeah, he could just uh, get really into it. If you think he doesn't know every drum beat to Tank from Cowboy Bebop, you are fully mistaken. <laughs> he definitely That's does. He That's definitely does weeb. it. I thought like Cowboy Bebop was like frowned by most anime people. Frowned but, upon? Why? Uh, because it's like good oh things? yeah, it's like a Western anime. I don't know. It's awesome. I don't, it's because awesome. usually when people are like, I'm big into anime. I'm like cool. Easy, easy, cut you out of my life. No, just kidding. <laughs> I actually, there's some animes that I like, but um, sure. I was, I always thought that it, that was considered to be like, um, you know, like, like a pop song, like a pop, pop version. It's like a, you're not right. a true anime fan. I think that you got to know a few other ones. I think that's right. Uh, my cred, my cred point on anime is that I've watched over a hundred episodes of Naruto. So like if that gets me any like tokens. Oh, you're a weeb, dude. <laughs> I know. If that gets me any tokens at the at the fair to spend on a doll or something, I'll do that. Uh but I don't I've g- get... generally watch more than that. <clears throat> I uh yeah, I I I've liked a few. I liked uh sure. Sure. Paprika. 
I like the Kira. I like Sam. I like Akira. Samurai Shampoo, right? That one's yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, I tried, but I tried like Neon Genesis yes, I and mixed. Attack on Titan. Yeah, mixed feelings about that. And some other one. And I was like, no, thank you. Yeah. I tried Trigun uh, and I got a little ways into that. Uh, and then there's, I, I tried a little bit of Dragon Ball Z and I was like, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've tried a few. I've tried. Uh, I've tried a mm-hmm. few. There, I think there was one called Lorne. Mm-hmm. I tried a little bit of that. I think, if I remember it correctly, mm-hmm. but it's been a long, long mm-hmm. time. Basically, my main bay is is Bebop. If uh, if I gotta watch yeah, Bebop, anime, Bebop fucks, man. There's no <laughs> yeah, doubt about it. No doubt. All you heard everybody. it here first on the anime cast, starring <laughs> two white dudes. Can you imagine uh, if we thank tried you for that? joining us. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You imagine. Anyway, this is Director Peace Theater. <laughs> Thank you. This for... is Director Peace Theater, as the guy said. Yeah. Uh, right. Long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah, man. Ago. I'm excited to be here. Me too. Uh, and uh, you brought a movie. I did. And a premise that I you wanted did. to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, did. I wanna, I wanna hear it. I wanna Thank hear you. it. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, this will be fun because Abe and I are, we may not totally agree on this premise, which we've never, it's, that's not a thing we've ever done before. So we'll get, we'll actually have the discussion about it up top, I think, for fun. Okay. And then, yeah, sure. uh, and then at a certain point, I'm just be like, okay, well, let's just assume, let's just accept that I, we're doing this premise and then we'll go for it. Yeah, we're doing it. That you're yeah. right. Yeah. I think yeah, that yeah. that, I, I you you deserve that. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think the audience really, so that they can at least enjoy a piece of content uh, that's mm-hmm. that's on a theme. Uh, so this is about the 2010 film, uh, The Book of Eli, uh, mm-hmm. which is the it's the first time I've ever watched it was about three weeks ago, because um, mm-hmm. I got on kind of a Denzel kick. Oh yeah, I yeah. love this. Oh, me too. Yeah. I, I did you watch Man on Fire? I did. I also watched Flight, mm. which I, I I was trying to get one of these oh. about Flight because I really liked that movie, but I didn't. It, nothing really super popped out. And then I watched this movie, and I was like, "Oh, this is a uh, real strange. Uh, yeah. A lot of really yeah, strange is. things about this movie." Uh, Mila Kunis is in it. <laughs> yes, that's also yes. Uh, also, Gary, Gary Oldman's Gary in it. Oldman is uh, in it, and he's got kind of like frog throat. It's got a little bit of like frog throat yeah, in it. You know, he's got like Tom Waits is in it. Oh, Tom Waits is incredible. Real, yes, he's got a real frog. Yes, throat. he does. Yeah, he had it he's surgically a implanted frog in there. Yeah, in the seventies, frogs all around. Ray, uh, wait, who is it? Ray Stevenson. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's correct. Uh, Denzel, Gary Oldman, yes, yes, Ray Stevenson, you were correct, and Jen and Jennifer Beals, interestingly, is in this movie. So it's kind of like a, it's a weird mac like match of things to be in this movie. Like that's like a <clears throat> kind of unorthodox cast. I think you would agree, right? Well, it's the Hughes brothers. Yes, yes, it is. It's also, and this is what's so fascinating about it. It's their last film. <laughs> Like they, wow. they do not uh, direct movies together anymore, uh, but they used yeah. to, right? They used to be a joint venture, and this is their last mm-hmm. film together. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this movie is better than their previous movie that they made, uh, which is From Hell. I didn't love From Hell either, but I, I mean, I that think they're weird. <laughs> but they're fam- but they make they make like block they get like. Big cast and they make like arty type movies. I wouldn't say that they're art house, but they uh, <clears throat> they're very meditative and they like have 
they like go for that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and they made Menace to Society. That was kind of their big breakout, and also Dead Presidents. And then Dead Presidents is what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, and they sort of moved on from directing together mostly after from hell and they kind of reunited to do this movie and then they have Uh not worked together since uh Mm. and that's so that's interesting right it's like because they're twins also uh (laughs) so it's just the idea that they were working together as twins and then they're like nah (laughs) they broke up up. hey man yeah hey why not you know sometimes uh, sometimes you you gotta break up the twins man yeah why should they uh, they're they're two different people you know, yeah. uh, they don't have to work together. They don't have to do a prestige thing either, where they're like living half mm-hmm. a life, you know, for the other mm-hmm. one. Uh, they don't God, have to do that. What if they were, though? That would be amazing. <laughs> well, that, I got so they're angry. They're actually at that. still, di- they're still directing together. Yes. Right. But they just act like Alan Hughes and Albert Hughes. Yep. They act like each other and they're like, yep. yes, I direct, I, Alan Hughes, directed the <laughs> Defiant Ones. <laughs> And they're like, um, yeah, okay. I got He's so like, wink, irritated. Wink, it's actually Albert. <laughs> like one of them is in love with his wife, and the other one's not. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. when I watched the Prestige, and I'm sorry, spoilers for that. I guess the first time that was the moment when I found out that was the twist of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was just livid because that, that's such an impossible <laughs> idea. Uh, anyway, uh, that's a totally different conversation. So look, the Book of Eli. Uh, often listed as one of the best Denzel films or somewhere in his top 10, um, which is quite a filmography if you go back through it. It's like, wow, this guy's been in a lot of great movies. Um, And he's a great actor. And I think he's also doing a pretty good job in this movie. Um, This is a movie that takes place in a a post-apocalyptic world that I think is fair to describe as a Western world like it's a it's like a lawless absolutely western world western yes and i'm gonna go through and like sort of uh go through and define how this is a western and what that means in a minute but i want to get to the key point of uh contention and that is in the third act of this film which by the way is almost a totally different film like every from the moment he gets shot outside of the uh that that big house that abandoned house with the cannibals from that moment on, the movie changes into a different kind of story. Before that, it's a Western. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into kind of more of a quest myth type thing. And he gets sort of mm-hmm. demythologized. From that moment on, we are slowly leading to this one uh, key moment, which is the moment where Eli turns over this book, the book, by by the way, being the Bible, to mm-hmm. a printing press in Alcatraz, which will then, uh, in theory, save... Uh, this piece of literature for posterity. And the Bible has been a source of conflict in this little Western town, the whole movie. And then right at the end, we discover that uh, the book, which has been stolen by this rival gang leader played by Gary Oldman was actually in Braille. And that means like literally there were never words in it unless, except that they were in Braille language. So there was never any like, uh, there was never a point where there was like written text Right. Yeah. No one can read in this world, by the way. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Really? So, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not saying Braille isn't a written Braille text. I'm just saying that, like, it was a Braille only Bible. You get the idea. So, yeah. then we discover that Eli, this character that Denzel plays, is able to recite this book from memory, implying he has read this over and over and over in Braille, 
And we get this very long, slow dolly into his clouded eyes. And from that, I intuited, oh, so the movie's saying he's been blind this whole time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I looked it up. I, I did a bunch of research online, and I found a lot of people uh, making the argument, yes, he's blind, Here's and then retconning whether or not that is true based on a bunch of different things that he does in the movie and some sound cues and stuff. Now, when Abe and I started this conversation off mic, Abe was like, he is not blind. Do you still? I didn't get that. Yeah. I didn't yeah, get you didn't, that. You didn't, so revealed. you think the movie didn't say that he was blind? Is that what you're saying? I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. I didn't catch it. I probably wasn't watching it as, cause I didn't, the dolly that you're talking about, I don't really remember, it's or like at least the cloudy. The very end. I do, I yeah. do. It's it's at the it's at yeah. the the house, right? It's it's like as he's reciting as, he's the shot. Bible, as he's reciting oh. the Bible in Alcatraz, they do a really tight dolly into his eyes, and his oh, eyes are oh, clouded, and it's like what? And then you realize, oh my god, he's blind. Yeah, I bet, I bet they were, I bet they were. I just think that that's real dumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Totally. It is dumb. It's uh, it's a real dumb Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's trying to do like a sixth sense twist. Like the twist is like that's the sizzle. And uh the, the it's like what if you're doing sixth sense and it's like the whole time he's clearly not like dead people are talking to him. Right. All the time. Right. And then they're like, but really, he's dead. But see, <laughs> and it's I, like, I, no, he's not. He did all that other stuff. Oh, you think Sixth Sense is a badly executed twist too? Is that what you're no, saying? No, I think, oh, I mean, no. I'm just saying that, um, no, no, because, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm okay. saying. Sixth Sense does the thing right. where he, no one talks to him. But he, Shyamalan utilizes our, you know, it's all in the notes you don't play. Right. So he's assuming that we're not, we're just going to, you know, just blaze right through the movie and not think about it. And he was right for a lot of people. Great. Uh, Cause they didn't expect it. Uh, this movie is also a thing that you wouldn't expect to twist in. So it's like, I guess it's a good setup for it, but it was like a twist that wasn't really necessary. I mean, I guess it was because that means that Carnegie who's played by Gary Oldman doesn't get the thing he wants the book. Right. Correct. But, um, but it, it's like he's dodging stuff like the way he w- walks around. Yeah, is yeah. That he's not a blind yeah. guy. Like I guess you're supposed to believe that he uh, he has like he's like a daredevil situation. Yes, right? that is the only way to make sense of it. I think the key ingredient here is uh, that it's it's sort of how do you interpret that shot at the end? Really about whether or not this is this was supposed to be clearly retconned or whether this is like a really convenient alternate reading. Um, yeah. My, I thought that, yeah, my argument I thought maybe is maybe he wasn't blind, but like God gave him sight or I don't know. Well, he says, um, he, he asks a question to the other blind woman and she, he asked like, were you blind from the, from the, the war meaning because of the nuclear bomb. And I think that's what sort of right. implied is that yeah. like he was, he did have sight and then he lost it in the nuclear war. Cause he was alive for that. Uh, mm-hmm. now I it, like, so I'll put it to you this way to the, to the audience of this show and also to the film audience at large. If you don't accept the idea that this movie is saying that he's blind, this whole podcast will probably not be super useful to you. Uh, I do think the movie is trying to say that, uh, I completely agree with Abe that I, when I watched, it, I was like, what? And also didn't like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I still don't like it. 
but I did think it was interesting. Interesting enough to talk about. And also, quite frankly, I was surprised by the fanfare uh, that kind of goes along with this movie. Like, people still kind of fondly remember it. And my suspicion is the reason why is because of this twist. Like, I think the twist kind of made the movie feel like, oh, to uh, a lot of people. And so it kind of like lingered in part, I think, for exactly the reason you said, which is we didn't think we were getting a twist ending. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, if it's it fun. Works. Yeah, if it works. Right. But now, it doesn't work. Absolutely. So uh, I'm going to do a little bit of work a little later in the podcast here to explain uh, sort of some of like what what focus we're going to take on this issue of him being blind but i'll say right up top for all of you if you're interested in like proving to yourself that this is what it's is intended from the filmmakers there are really good reddit threads about it, threads about it uh that go through and and to detail every performance cue uh every sort of like sound cue and stuff that uh and every like like choice that's made by the filmmaker to indicate this like like plot elements that are meant to indicate this i don't want to go through all of those things because i uh, am more interested in talking about let's assume it's true what did the directors do to enhance that experience and make that work for people if it did work and um so that's that's kind of what this is going to be but also uh <laughs> i think it's fair to say neither abe nor i would describe this movie as being entirely successful Right, like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think this movie is entirely successful. You're gonna see why when I sort of set it up uh, as a Western movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't feel any need to to argue that like no, no, this really works and it's good. I'm just here to argue mm-hmm. this is what they were trying to do. Uh, how does that sit with my old pal? Uh, great man, <laughs> just so great. God, uh, it's like a it's like a sweet girdle. Yeah. No, like two thirds of this movie is. Like, all right, we got a movie yes, going. Yes, I on. agree. Yes, <laughs> right. the The two thirds where it's a western uh, are when it's yeah, a pretty yeah, it good fucking like movie. A, yeah, it's all right, and it's yeah. yeah. There's plenty to like. Uh, yes, I agree. I still think there's a lot of charm to it. It's just kind of flawed. Um, so let me get into sort of what this episode is explicitly trying to prove. So, to start, the Book of Eli is primarily a western. Okay, and by that I mean that uh, it's doing the Western tropes, and it's indebted to that genre of film, and it's going out of its way to sort of establish all the things that belong in a Western. Here is some evidence for that. First thing is, there's not a lot of sets, and there's basically four sets. Uh, There is a rough and rowdy town, there is like basically the open road or the desert, Um, there is the farmhouse, which is uh, where he gets shot. And uh, then there's Alcatraz, which is from a totally different movie in the in the last third of the movie. I totally fo- forgot that uh, Michael Gambon is in it. Is he? Who is he in it? Yeah, dude. He's the at the farmhouse. Oh, yes. Oh, is he the? No. He's, is that him? Yeah, dude. Oh, that's chill. Okay. Dumbledore himself, dude. Wait, he's the is he's the cannibal? Mm-hmm. Do I not remember mm-hmm. that? That's insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's insane. Wow. Yeah, uh, the cannibals are really interesting because uh, they had sort of convoluted motives. Anyway, uh, so again, mm. Alcatraz does not fit as well into this Western uh, trope, and that's because the last third of the movie stopped being a Western. Uh, it does, though, because uh, in stereotypical Westerns, there's like the promised land. 
and Alcatraz right. serves as that purpose. Yes. It's the place that everyone's trying to get to. Correct. Kind of like in Mad Max, another neo-Western, you know, it's like they literally call it promised land, I think. That's a great like, point. You know. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, right, it's like the town that actually works as a town. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Except for it's it's pretty conflict-free. Like, it, it's not like it's Deadwood or something, right? Like, the, the actual mid- old no, western town is pretty well represented by Gary Oldman's little... Uh, band it's like thieves. a natural disaster slash post apocalypse trope. Yes, less than yes. a western, but it's still, I would say, firmly in new. Oh yeah, it's, it's it fits more in the apocalypse than it does the western. I totally agree. Right. Um, yeah. Okay, so the second thing that is part of this western uh, setup is we don't actually learn his name, Denzel's name, until the third act. <laughs> Uh, we don't. I don't think we even learned his name as Eli, and I was watching it pretty carefully. So if I, I might have missed it, but we pretty much don't learn his name, and he is pretty clearly supposed to be channeling the man with no name trope, right? The the Clint right. Easter, yeah, the Clint yeah, Eastwood yeah. character from those old spaghetti westerns. Yeah, stranger, you know, right? Sweeps into town, yes, and like yes. it's full of evil. Right, exactly, and he's the just person. Why is he just? Because we need him to be. You know, he's the guy we need. Uh, very, that's a very Western trope. It, its genesis begins even before Clint Eastwood and Yojimbo and other films. But like, you know, Clint Eastwood made it famous here, um, and I think that we're channeling that to some degree with this character. Um, oh yeah. With very few exceptions, this mo- all the weapons in this movie basically fit in a Western. Uh, landscape, including the Gatling gun, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. So, like they all they go out of their way to kind of make the warfare also sort of old west. Um, like there's no fucking lasers or bombs or whatever. There are grenades, but they're used pretty exclusively toward the end. Yeah, he's got that uh, scabbard. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, he does have that scabbard. He, the sword itself is sort of a little outside of the western trope. But it functions in a in the same way as like the six shooter would for a Clint Eastwood character. I thought it made him like an angel. What do you mean an angel? What's that mean? You're like angels usually have swords. Are you seriously? Like in the Bible, you yeah. mean? Yeah, that's interesting. In like, uh, in like, yeah, and I don't know if in the Bible, I don't think so. But it <laughs> isn't. Uh, aren't they? You know, they're usually displayed like. Uh, in movies, in the mythos of like yeah. the fall, there's a battle, and they got right. like armor and swords and stuff. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was a very like the curve of it was very like it's an older curve. That's uh, interesting in terms of swords. It's not like a long sword. It's not like a straight sword or like a katana or something like that. It's like a. It's like a short machete, but but yeah. more weapon like. Uh, and it yeah it, like yeah it's it feels old. It but does anyway. feel old. No, I think you're right. Uh, he also uses it in an old way. That's an interesting counterpoint. I thought that it was kind of a concession to... Uh, it, it was kind of a concession to like just trying to make him badass in a post-apocalyptic way, but also, yeah, by the that's way... that's the real reason. I think it's also kind of trying to prove that he's blind because he doesn't do that much shooting for a, most of this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. They make him do sword stuff. So, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So, but he does do shit. He does. He does. He does shooting stuff, and the shooting stuff is basically impossible in every sense of the word. Yeah. But I think they tried to justify it 
uh, by with sound design. But anyway, we'll get to it. So, got it. Um, the Bible itself is I and I'm I checked this and I'm pretty sure I'm right. It is a King James trans uh, King James version. That's right. Uh, The King James version is basically the only Bible in common use in America until the turn of the century, the turn of the 19th to the 20th century. Uh, So like, you know, again, an old Western Bible, like if you were actually finding Bibles that were left uh, in the landscape from an apocalypse that happened now, you would probably not find a King James Bible. Uh, mm. you'd probably find a totally different version, like an NIV or some other version. Like, there's just a lot more contemporary versions than that. So mm-hmm. they made it on purpose, a King James Bible. Um, but wasn't it famously... What's the history of that, though? It Wasn't it <clears throat> to make it more uh, something that the populace could yes. easier, like, yes. read easier? The King James... So it's like the People's Bible is what it was considered. Yes, the King James Bible is an English translation, which was... And all of those translations were made for the purpose of letting the people read the Bible, which they could not when it was in Latin. Because it was in Latin. Yeah. Right. So it so that has its own symbolic it weight. It does, right? correct. And, and that's, I, I think, why we're doing that. Uh, and it's it, just to be clear for anybody who's interested in this issue, King James Bible is not the first translation for people, but it was one of the first English translations. Uh, there were German ones in the Protestant Reformation. So like the the struggle to get the agreed upon written word of God, so to speak, into people's hands began before the King James Bible. But we care about that because we're English speaking. So that's that's the idea. But it does do everything you're saying, Abe, 100 percent. So, uh, now the film has this problem where after the second act, when it becomes this quest myth, that's when it reveals that he's blind. And I think that part of the reason why we do this sort of like he's wounded and he has to be carried into the fortress and, uh, you know, he has to do things by memory is to kind of demythologize him enough to make him a human being again, uh, so that. When we when they reveal that he's blind, uh, we're supposed to be like, "Wow, he was blind the whole time! No way!" <laughs> In, instead of that's bullshit, <laughs> which is I think we no way. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. You like how I wrote I it? I love this. Yeah. No way, I don't buy I that. Just, uh, is how I wrote no it. No way. That, I just like that idea of you sitting in a theater doing like just no internal monologue. <laughs> You're just saying it to the screen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> just really funny. To me. It is know. funny. People's inner monologue. It's, it's so stupid. You keep going. No, you're right. Uh, but but we are sort of left at that precipice about this issue, right? Where they're hoping your reaction is like, oh wow can't believe it or like is that really wow like that you're impressed by this that you accept it and you're impressed by it their dread the deep dread of the filmmaker is, is that you don't right is this you're one, like yeah. me and I, i'm your worst nightmare because i'm like that's some stupid shit right there yeah. you, yes you didn't do it yes uh but yeah i and like again <laughs> just to repeat for everybody we're conceding i'm conceding that it's not uh it doesn't work all the way uh, but that's the idea here. That's the goal. So, and I'm conceding that it's entirely intentionally did. Yeah. yeah okay. Fair enough. So, yeah. the argument that I'm actually going to make here is these directors have two masters to serve. Okay. The first one is they got to make a Western hero, 
And the second one is it needs to retcon as a blind man. So right. the discussion is how will we make a film? How What film techniques can we use to serve both of those interests and successfully mm. plant the idea that he's blind in hindsight while still maintaining the idea that he's the man with no name? So we're going to Hell explore yeah. those issues. Now, again, you are allowed, if you want to say, I don't agree with this, no problem. The research for how did they prove it from dramatic, like a dramaturgical point of view and the plot point of view, which is mm-hmm. not really the purview of the show, uh, there are great Reddit threads about it. I suggest you search them up. So to get into this discussion, the most important thing you can do if you're trying to make a believable world where your Western hero is the daredevil (laughs) is to compress the space. That's the most important thing you can do. And by explain what that means. Thank you. So compress the space (laughs) means to make it so that things do not feel as out of reach for him and to feel like there are less uh, dangers and threats in the frame for us to see and disbelieve or worry about, right? So they basically put him in a more isolated space in the frame and eliminate our ability to detect other actual threats to him so that we believe him doing these things, right? So Mm -hmm. what they're really doing is they're sort of omitting details of the real world on purpose so that you will feel like those real world things are not there or don't matter. That's what I mean by compress the space. Okay, and I'm going to define it in a couple of ways. Uh, The first one is, and this is the thing that Abe and I, I think at this point we talk about on every single one of these episodes, is uh, that they use long lenses to visually compress the space. That's right. So, And they do that a lot. And by the way, that's not that common in Westerns. Uh, In Westerns, having a super long lens is not that common. But in this Mm -hmm. movie, um, they're shooting on, you know, sometimes like 100 Uh, or like a 75, like pretty long lens. And what that does, just Mm -hmm. as a refresher, is a long lens limits the field of view. So the field of view is literally smaller. I see less of uh, the actual world in front of me than I would if I was on a wide-angle lens. And it sort of smashes all the things in the frame together. Um, Like, it literally compresses those elements so that things feel more two-dimensional in frame. Um, Mm -hmm. That's like a thing that they, is basically the function of that shot. Uh, mm. And when we compress the space to the degree that it's done in this film, what happens is uh, the action stops having kind of a Z-axis. Like this film doesn't use the Z-axis that much. It kind of limits a lot of the action to the X and Y axis. So like, that means that we're not afraid of a three-dimensional threat for this guy. We're kind of only worried about threats from, like, basically one direction. Explain Z-axis to people, I think. Okay, yeah, thank you for saying that. So, that's good. I'm glad you said that. So, imagine that there is a graph in uh, two-dimensional space. You guys all did basic math, right? A graph in two-dimensional space has an X-axis and a Y-axis, right? Uh, so like a horizontal and a vertical. Now, if you're going to put a graph in three-dimensional space, there would be a third axis called the Z-axis, which would right. <laughs> go out into depth, right? It would spread out right. into... Right, so when you say Z-axis, you just mean camera moves in or out. I Yes, I partially mean that, and I also mean staging. There's very little staging on a Z-axis, 
right? Foregrounding and background. Yes, and if they, that's correct, they do very little actual threats from the foreground and background. They do use right. foreground and background, but for a different purpose. Um, mm-hmm. For the most part, this movie moves on a largely uh, like horizontal way for all the threats and and fighting. Okay, uh, probably mm-hmm. the best proof for this is uh, that dark, uh, that sort of under the overpass fighting scene that we have, uh, which happens very early. That shot literally eliminates the ability to distinguish anything but uh, X and Y axis. It literally blots out the ability to see the Z axis at all. So it compresses it together. So it's almost like a black and white painting, if you will. Uh Uh, Uh So we'll talk about it again in a little bit. But that's, that's what I mean when I say we're compressing the space. Eliminating the Z. Right. Yeah. I also think that it's uh, it's interesting because there's another Western, w- a little bit more, more well-known, that uses the same trick for blindness and uh, telephoto lenses. Uh, Unforgiven does that to show Clint Eastwood's age. Oh. Like there's several times where he can't see as yeah, well yeah, as yeah. he used to. Yeah. And they use long lenses for him to like... And they all, like when he looks at town, it's not the sweeping wides that we usually see of the countryside. That it does exist in Unforgiven as well because it's like a at a certain point there's like a group of people and it's not all focused on him. But when we're focused on him, often he's claustrophobic in that same way. Right. So that's thank you. That's great. Uh, good retcon. Now before we get too far down the road, like everything in this argument, there are some exceptions, and because there's exceptions, I think that's the, the best proof that these filmmakers are sort of inconsistent. Um, one of them is the right. Gatling gun shootout, which happens at the very end of the second act. Now that's a piece of the film that's told in a very uh, three dimensional way. Right. In fact, we're steady camming sort of all around the space and pivoting around and then following <laughs> stuff in and out of the house. And it's like panic room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we go through the window at one point. Exactly. It's, it's, so, it's so silly. It's very silly. And it feels like it doesn't belong in the movie. Uh, right. It's very different. But I'm sure at the time we probably we were probably like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. but even then it was like. Uh, still very much copying other works that had been yeah. done previous and better, like Fincher. Of know? course, uh, that's and that's what they clearly wanted to do. Like the Gatling gun was clearly like one for them. You know what I mean? Like this is just like we're gonna we're gonna shoot the shit out of this house to a degree where like Eli is barely even in that scene. Like he like he's he's tucked away in one corner of the house. And they're just sort of shooting the house up, which is like, all right. Uh, And very little, like Eli has very little agency in that sequence, which I think is what gave them the feeling like they were permitted to do it this way. Right. It's like, and now Eli's no longer the the protagonist, the Gatling gun is. So, okay, fine. Um, Also, he does this weird thing where he looks out the window that I can't figure out how they possibly justified that to themselves as a blind guy. Yeah. Like he yeah. he like gets a gun and then looks out the window. I'm like, is he smelling out there? Like, why would he do that? And he's aim- aiming like at different points. Like, it's very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's they they mess things up, and I think that's one of them. I think I think it's like it's because it makes you think like, is he trying to hide it from people? And I guess the answer is yes. Yeah, he, I think he <laughs> I mean, uh, thinks he's safe if he can hide it, right? 
Right. I guess that's the assumption. Like why he would do this, I don't know. Uh, you know, like he's he's sort of a prophet, like a prophet type. Uh, even right. even the name Eli, which by the way, I don't want to get into all this, but like the name Eli is reference to a person who's blind in the Bible as well. Uh, but so like I think that's why right is he's a man on a mission and he doesn't want anything to impede the mission, but it is very silly, you know. Uh, so anyway, um, now. There's another there's another exception to this long lens thing, which is the beginning and end of the movie where I have that hairless cat stuff. Like where he like shoots that weird hairless cat, and that's shot in a very three-dimensional way in this alternate fantasy right. space. Um that yeah. it looks different than everything else in the movie and feels different. It's, yeah. It's like foggy yeah. and cold and green and, and everything else is everything else in the movie is daytime and uh orange and tan. Yeah. Uh, even though it's desaturated as hell, this feels like, yeah, it very much feels like a different movie. I didn't think that it was that it actually happened. Like I, I thought it was like a metaphor or something. I think he had to because he, when he goes to Tom Waits, he he says, uh, "Cat yes, oil." He has cat. Yes, Th- that's and he, so he's like he's got a cat and he feeds <laughs> he, he feeds some of that mouse uh, cat too, I believe. Yeah, like I, you're right Correct. that it did happen, but it felt like it shouldn't have. Like it felt like is this like a dream? Like it, it didn't make sense. Um, and so right. uh, it's another time where I feel like they kind of broke their own rules. Um, I will say that he doesn't shoot the cat until the cat makes a sound. Like that's the that's the clue. Uh, it's still that's the nod. Yeah, it okay. still feels very stupid to me. Uh, but I that that's the argument. So because cat's notoriously loud. Uh, but you know like maybe he didn't think he was gonna necessarily get a cat maybe he's just a blind guy shooting whatever's there he's like and then he walks over and he's like ah it's a fucking cat i guess i'll eat this nice normally i get tree i guess like today it's cat cat stew is on the menu boy yeah that's right yeah it's could be real weird i don't i don't think that's insane honestly this Uh, all can scan this all can scan but it's a lot of i'm i'm having to do a lot of work for you you brothers so (laughs) Yeah, I, I think they should have cut that. Uh, I don't think we needed it, frankly. Uh, I don't think it added I a think lot. It, I think here's what it added, though, right? It added that, like, it's a cute, it's like a uh, Siamese cat or something. It's, it's like a hairless cat. It's a cute, yeah. harmless, it's a hairless, um, like, doesn't hurt anybody cat, right? House cat, domestic cat. And it's, like, just trying to live, and here he is. He's preying on, like, it's it opens up the world showing, like, Oh, this is a world where, you know, people who are malnourished are feeding on people who are malnourished. Now, I could have gotten that from the fact that there are legit cannibals right, in this movie. Which we don't spend a lot of time but on. Yeah. It does set this tone early saying this world is pretty morally uh, dark. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, right. Which, you know, makes it puts it in the apocalypse zone. Uh, I I don't like it. Uh, anyway, it is what it is. Uh, it does prove that he's a marksman, uh, which comes mm-hmm. back a few times later, I guess. So there's that. Now, this strategy of using these long lenses uh, has a bonus Western effect as well. And that effect is that Eli is almost always alone in the frame. So, and, and part of it is because the field of view is so compressed that he can be in all these sort of situations, even where he's in like a crowded town. And he feels like a man apart. Uh, and I think that's intentional because it sort of subtly reinforces, you know, Western hero, right? Man with no name. He's a, he's a loner. 
you know, he's always by himself. And we'll talk a little bit more about other ways they do that in a minute. So they supplement this long lens strategy with basically constant lateral dolly moves. Um, they do occasionally have side to side. some move moving forward and back, but it's mostly for tone. Um, and they do have some jibs where they kind of come down into the scene or up out of the scene. But a lot of the dolly work here is sort of side to side and revealing things in pieces. Um, the best example of that mm. is right away when we meet the guy, uh, Eli, and he gets into that house and he's sort of looking through the house. The camera mm. kind of pans with him through a bookshelf and sort of reveals each thing as he touches it uh, the way that a blind man would experience knowing what's in the room. Uh, and also kind of limits how much of the room he can see and that we can see, therefore limiting the danger to him. That's sort of, like in this movie, when things are not in the frame, they're not really a danger. That really pretty yeah. rarely happens. Um, you want to hear a funny story? Of course. <laughs> what are we here for? Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, you know how I, uh, Michael Cox, uh, is a friend of mine in my cinematography, yes. you know, partner, uh, in, uh, USC. He's a beautiful man. I used him, used him for DP for a lot of my short films and such. Um, one time I forget what show it was because who can remember, but, uh, I wanted a shot where I wanted, I was like, all right, so I want to be on a 50. Why? Cause I can't see that stuff. Okay. So you have to compress the space somewhat because I can't see too wide. Right. But I wanted to dolly uh, and I wanted, I was like, maybe it's dolly zoom and we hide the zoom and the dolly because I want it to compress. I want to get real close to the face. Yeah. Uh, and I want it to be like a, almost an extreme close up by the end of it. And so I called like a 50, uh, based off how much track we had. He's like 50. He's <laughs> like, you're calling a 50. He's like, yeah. And I was like, we'll just go all the way. He's like, dude, you're going to need twice as much dolly track. I'm like, I don't know. I think it's fine. I think it's a, yeah. let's try the 50 Love it. and lay out all that track. Yep. Let's do it. And, uh, he's like, you're, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> he's like, I, I know, you know, you're wrong. You're just like woefully trying to be optimistic. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's going to be fine. He's like, that's what I'm, you know what? I'm not going to waste time because we're already wasting time by having me do this. So I set up all the track and, uh, I, all right, show me the shot on the 50 and we do the, we do the shot and I was like, it's not, ah, it doesn't feel right, Michael. And he's like, I told you. So what we ended up doing is we switched to like a 28 or a 35 yep. and then used only about half the amount of track, yep. you know? Yep. And so the, I had to sacrifice the shot because I didn't have control, but uh, it's just, it shows you, I guess the reason I, I thought of the story is just because when you, when you try to have a longer lens and you put it on a dolly and you try to go towards something, you don't feel no, the you move don't. whatsoever. Yes, you don't at all. You need a wide angle lens when you move in and out to feel the in and out because that's it's just an aspect of the lens. It's, With a wide angle lens, you are literally doing the thing that they call pinholing. And like, uh, what it's essentially do is doing is the closer you are to the lens, you see farther out. Now that's a big problem. If you have to, let's say, obscure a thing on the side of your set that you can't see. So that's why I had to like move the do the camera dolly up closer. Um, it's and I couldn't get the range of motion that I wanted because I couldn't get anything I wanted because it was, I just didn't have control. It's one of the reasons why so many feature films are shot in wide angle lenses because 
like basically z-axis movement meaning forward and back uh on a wide angle lens makes you feel like you're moving in space right Th- this is why yeah you feel a steady cam is almost always on a wide angle lens because the yes. steady cam's job is to give you the sense of moving freely through the space we only get that when we're moving on a z-axis you know like if you're moving horizontally uh, that feels more like a dolly shot, which of course doesn't have to be on a wide-angle lens at all. In fact, you might feel horizontal right. moves more acutely when you're on a longer lens, which is exactly what this film is doing. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. thank you. That's very helpful. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, uh, we've talked about how these lens lengths uh, compress the space. So, another way that these guys are compressing the space to make this man a Western hero and a blind man uh, is that they don't light lots of stuff. Like, they're putting a lot of things in shadow that really shouldn't be in shadow. Uh, this film has a whole lot of, like, chiaroscuro, like, hard... Like, not only hard light, but also just sort of uh, things being blacked out, that uh, like faces and stuff, even, where you don't see a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. Um, the point of it being, actually, instead of adding depth, like it does in things like, I don't know, Mad Men... You know, or like some show like that where they use Godfather, where they they'll use like negative fill to give a sense of depth. In this movie, the shadows are so thick and there's so much of it, it actually kind of flattens the image. It makes it feel yes. kind of like a like a gothic painting or something, um, where mm-hmm. you don't get to see the details of the set that much, or the details yep. of the people in the foreground or background that much. Now, that's not that typical in westerns. Uh, but what it does is it limits the amount of threat for him, right? Like he is on a two-dimensional flat world, which limits the directions from which a threat can come. Uh, my favorite example is the one we already mentioned. It's like right in the beginning of the movie. He finds those weird, uh, I guess they're grifters or whatever, right? Like they're those. They're the the first, the s- the guys with the overpass. Like the, like the Oh, the overpass. Yeah, they're, they're just... Um... Thieves. Yeah, just thieves. Just, yeah, uh, just roving around trying scamming yeah. people by faking that someone needs Correct. help and they're trapping. They're gonna take all your stuff and kill Correct. you. Now, uh, just another little note there. He notices them because of their smell. Just pointing that out. He smells yes. their dirt a, while, yes. a mile away. He does. Uh, but he does an interesting thing, which at the time feels like when you first watch it, you're like, oh, I get it. So this movie's very cool. Uh, which is he backs intentionally into that shadow to stab those dudes to death, right? Mm-hmm. And he has, like, an old boy-esque fight, like, or that, uh, it actually reminded me the most of that fight from Kill Bill 1 where she, the lights go out, and then they come back on and she's just a silhouette, you know, yeah. like, and it's just a sort of side-to-side fight. And it's cool, right? I liked it. I thought it was cool, but also felt very, um, like, like style over substance, you know, when I first watched it, but also... <clears throat> the MVP of that sequence is the guy with the chainsaw because yeah. <laughs> he gets like cut on like eight yeah, times yeah, yeah. and he's and there's like you can tell there's like the second time he's stabbed. He's like, oh, I don't like it's the moment that I know that I would react this way, which is if I were to ha- like if I were a lackey and I was like and they were like, you have to kill that man. I'm like, yes, sir. And I do it and I get stabbed twice the way that that guy got yeah. stabbed. You totally like this is when I would set down the the chainsaw and go like i need help <laughs> but he doubles down he doubles down he's like you can tell he's like oh 
oh like he's not doing well and then he like but then he rears up again and he's like all right and he like you know his heart is not in it and he dies because he tried too many times to attack Denzel and it's just one of those moments in cinema you know like where you just go I relate to that (laughs) I relate to that guy he's too tired to fight he's had it but he did it anyway I know it's because the script said yeah, so, but the see guy really, the actor really, um, he really brought that, you know? <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. I'm enjoying you shitting on this movie. Uh, uh, you're right about all of that. I can't argue even a little bit. It is very clear to me that these guys wanted to do an old boy fight, and that's what this was. It is pretty badass. Yeah. I mean, with the sword. Yeah. Like, he's doing cool moves. Yeah. And it's and, Denzel, you know, you're like, wow, didn't expect Again, that. though, the, he, he does it for a legitimate reason, which is it evens the playing ground for him. They can't see either when he's in when he's in all darkness. But how would so, he know? I guess maybe it wouldn't be as hot. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. He's right. So he steps into darkness, in theory, leveling the playing field and also creating a kind of stylish, you know, Western hero kind of moment. It's not that Western in the sense that it's not guns and stuff, but it does prove this man could kill everybody at a drop of a hat if he wants to, which is a thing that Western heroes can do, right? They can land all six of their six shooters before another person get a, can get a bullet out of the holster, right? Like, simple as that. Right. So that's the point. It does that. It's uh, It's fun. So the next way that we are sort of like, I guess compressing the space is not exactly the right phrase, but we're sort of selling this uh, Western hero versus uh, versus blind man thing is that Eli is very isolated in the frame. Like this is just a pure framing thing. Um, this movie goes to great pains to make him feel like he is alone, even when he's in frames with other people. Like even for instance, when he's in the uh, in the shop with Tom Waits and he switches that shotgun around. The conversation is entirely on the x-axis, and Tom Waits right. cannot actually cross into his physical space. And they do a lot of 50-50 stuff like that, and people don't actually cross into his physical space. It happens pretty early once when the guy touches his arm, and that's when Eli says, if you do it again, you won't get the hand back. And he slices the dude's arm off with that insane blade that he's got. Right? So that's one way they make him feel isolated. The other way is uh, that... When they do over the shoulders, with a couple of exceptions, the over the shoulders go like this. We get the shot of Eli, and he's clean in the frame. And then we get the shot of the person he's talking to, and Eli, has a, there's a slice of him in the frame. Meaning he's kind of imposing himself on them, but they're not really imposing on him. With the lone exception yeah, of like Gary that. Oldman's character. They have matching. Yeah, I like that. Yes. And... I like thinking about like I think more movies should do that, yeah. which is like frame frame equality. Yeah. I believe is what I've heard it being called before. It, it, I I've never heard that term, but that totally makes sense to me. Balancing of frames, balanced frames. Well, I think yeah. that like if if we can learn anything about how much latitude there is on this issue, I think the best one of the best scenes in cinema history for this issue is uh, the conversation between Clarice and. Uh, Hannibal Lecter when Absolutely. he's in his cell yeah. because the shots are she's I believe she's in an over the shoulder and you see some of him in her shot but if not she's mm-hmm. very small in the frame and then we cut to the reverse is a dead on almost close up of him looking right at camera and right. you never think that's a weird shot 
You just don't think it. His complete control of everything. Yeah, it just fits who that guy is, and so you're riveted and terrified by this guy. And the truth is, it's a bold <clears throat> filmmaking tactic. Like, you don't see it a lot. And then later in the film, they reverse it, or Jonathan Demi reverses yes. it to show that Clarice is in power. Yes. Uh, now he takes back the power. But the point is, it's uh, it's taking a suggestion of the story, which is to say that in every scene, someone has power, it's someone's controls a scene. Or someone gains control in that scene and makes it visual. Correct. That's that's a perfect description. Uh, and that's what they're doing. You know, uh, they do it in a different way too. That's not just framing. Uh, they do it with their focal planes, um, a thing you don't see as often, even in westerns. So what I mean by that is, again, we're on a long lens, right? So the long lens creates uh, a compressed space, but what it also does is. It narrows the focal plane, which means how much of the uh, three-dimensional world is actually in focus. So the effect of that, for our purposes as viewers, is more things will appear out of focus in the foreground and in the mm -hmm. background from the subject uh, as we are getting on a longer lens. Okay, so lots yeah. of those shots where you see like the completely out of focus stuff at night or whatever, and they're really tight, are on a very long lens. That's why you can't see anything. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. and this movie uses it for an actual important thing, which is Eli is often on a separate focal plane than the thing that he is hearing or ta the person he's talking to. So they literally separate him by focus. Um, mm -hmm. it's, uh, an example. Of this is like when Eli encounters the couple being murdered and raped on the road when he's sitting on the freeway overpass. So like. We see we we see over his shoulder there he's out of focus these you know the motorcycles showing up right and then he turns his head away and the focal the focus returns to him and he starts debating then it's not your problem it's mm -hmm. not your problem but he's clearly hearing what we are seeing right so again it separates him as a hero right it gives you that western sense that he's like a man observing things but not part of it he's like he's distinct from it and also reinforces his blindness. Uh, it does both mm -hmm. things. And that's not the only example, but there's, there's a bunch of them. But that one is like a really clear one. Um, it happens quite a bit. Uh, when he enters the Western town, by the way, they do it again. Uh, and this is the time where normally you would not have this in a Western movie. Like normally in a Western mm -hmm. movie, when you enter a town, that's when you get the big wide shots because you got a town. You know what I mean? So you're, you're seeing the whole town, right? And you're getting the sense of the man is alone. And he's trudging down this thoroughfare and you can see everybody looking at right. him, right? Well, this right. movie does it in a different way. They do lateral dollies on long lenses, but when we cut back to him, it's like on one of the longest lenses we've ever seen in the movie, like maybe a hundred. Mm -hmm. And you can see people in the thoroughfare are passing be in front of him and behind him, but he is distinct. He is alone, <clears throat> right? And uh, that's yep. how we're introduced to him in this Western town. It's interesting. Um, also, yeah, sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say, and because like, I always like to just do throwouts to people who are amateur photographers or wannabe directors, a big amateur uh, distinction that uh, Adam kind of blew past because he knows the right terms and everything. Uh, 
he was kind of talking, he's kind of talking about the apparatus of the lens, which designates what's depth of field versus depth of focus. And those are two different things. I'm not going to go into exactly what they are because it's a lot of optic science, but those are two different things. You can look them up. They both represent what he's talking about. Um, Cause one is like, it basically is just what's blurred, what's not blurred. And is that range wider like in terms of like feet and or inches you know or meters or whatever or is it like how far can you get focus from like what's the maximum range of focus maximum blur yeah i guess i should say allowable uh in order to obtain like the best focus for that's really interesting and so there's ways in which you can alter things on the lens like aperture like high f-stop or low f-stop or things you can do actually to the mount themselves or on top of the lens, like a lens baby that you can alter suggestions like these, um, to make the, the image look different. Um, but just knowing terms and stuff like that, it's just a very interesting thing. There's a lot of, a lot of science that goes behind why, how you can control exactly what they're doing here, uh, to make it more shallow, to make it wider, but still have the same lens. That's true. That's very helpful. Uh, every time somebody brings up Lens Baby, I'm like, dude, you got to see the Yonkers video from Tyler, the creator, <laughs> which, by the way, is not like I'm not endorsing that song because it's a little rough, but you get a really clear example right. of what a Lens Baby does uh, with like right. these shifting focal planes the whole time. It's actually really cool. I use it in film schools with caveats uh, whenever I can, mm-hmm. whenever that issue comes up. Um, just one last thing on the idea of focal like focal length that I think is kind of fun for somebody who's not a filmmaker, but you can kind of start to see it. Old television shows used to use longer lenses for their tighter coverage on the regular basis. That's the thing that's not happening as often now as it used to. But like, if you go back mm-hmm. and watch older shows that are dramas, like single cam dramas, like for instance, cause I'm watching this lost, you can see mm-hmm. when they have a longer lens that, their ability to get something in focus becomes diminished because they have a narrower range where something is actually in focus and they might miss it. They might miss Mm -hmm. it. So like you'll get these shots on your like really big TV. If you have like a 4k TV, that's like of any good size, you'd be like, why does it seem like it's out of focus? Cause it is, it's out of focus because they had a long lens and they didn't quite nail the focal plane. The what is acceptable sharpness. Yeah, that depth, that is depth of focus. Um, And it's, there's also also stuff that you can't control. Like back when they did film cameras where you didn't have like a video tap necessarily and the video tap wasn't, there's something called back focus as well. So it gets even compounded problems because if, for example, the camera is also attuned to like the distance between where the lens starts when it's mounted on the camera and the film plane, like where the emulsion is uh, or the sensor in the digital space. Uh, And if those are out of sync, you will look at a image on your video tap or you'll look at it in your monitor and it will look 100% in focus on the but day. But it won't be. Everything looks great. And then you take it to the developer and you develop that film and you're in, all of your shit is and out of focus cry. for that whole day. You cry. And you cry yeah. and you go, Panavision, yeah. why did you do this yeah. to me? I thought I paid you to do yeah. that. And they go, whoops, I'm sorry. We have insurance for this kind yep. of thing. Or if they're less than reputable, they go, 
oopsies. Uh, Don't I, care. I think oopsies. that might have happened on in Lord of the Rings, the the Return of the King, that one. So it happens. It doesn't happen in as much in uh, digital filmmaking, right? I um, think so. that they. So don't quote me on this, but the the crying scene where Frodo has to leave, right? Like at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. it's like so the big emotional scene. They had to reshoot that mm-hmm. three times because of like little problems, and I think because one of them was a of focal it. problem, which mm-hmm. is like, can yeah, you imagine I, that? Yeah. Uh, horrible. That's horrible. Imagine that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it was a huge problem for you. See a lot of TV shows. Yeah, it has this especially problem. because they have a smaller format that they yep. can work with. They're not working on you know like thirty five millimeter, thirty yep. or super thirty five. So they're they have less. So it's less forgiving because of the uh, there's a natural crop that happens, and that crop mathematically does stuff to the all these numbers that we're talking about. Um, and so it's less forgiving. So your assistant camera tries to nail it, but it's just like, oh man, it's just using this lens on this format it's of a gonna camera. It's going to be horrible, right? It's I, like I'm dealing with like a millimeter and yep. it suddenly feels out of focus to yep. the viewer. I, I and found, it's just like, you got to be precise. I found that out it, like the hard way on, I was doing a Z axis dolly move on a, like a pretty long lens uh, where yep. It was like that's another reason not to use long lenses. It was really hard. So like the subject was coming toward camera, camera was going toward subject, because the camera is a point of view shot. So it's like we're doing a point of view shot looking at the person who's then walking toward us, but it was on kind of a longer lens. And like my poor DPs who are both great, one of them actually shot some stuff for us, correct? Uh, just couldn't get it because it was like a really hard pull. And the pull becomes exponentially more difficult as the subject gets closer for exactly the reason you're talking about. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I had to like, yeah. oh, I have to change this shot because like I don't have the tools for this, yep. uh, which yep. I learned the and hard way. Or, or you rehearse it so much. We don't have that, time to do that, man. <laughs> like, yeah, I wish yeah, we could. But uh, if you, yeah, especially when we're doing our stuff in any yeah. filmmaking, you typically work at like TV speed. So that means you're getting five, in our seven. case, ten, yeah. seven more. pages yeah. a day. Yeah. Uh, you know, versus like I don't know a, a feature film that has like a studio behind it. You know, where you can get away with shooting a page or two a day. Right. Anyway. I mean, we we shot like nine pages a day when we were doing Starship Icarus, which in hindsight I don't even know how I did that. Yeah, it's uh, impossible. We did it. Uh, yeah, crazy. Anyhow. Uh, last way I want to talk about sort of the idea of compressing the space again for both the Western tropes and for the blindness, uh, is the sound design, which is a thing we don't talk Mm. about too much. Uh, but this movie made some really important and key decisions on sound design that, uh, kind of drift past you if you don't think about it. One of them is the soundscape in this movie is very minimal. Like, very minimal. And by that, I mean, there are tons of scenes where something doesn't have a sound until it shows up in the frame. So, like, the motorcycles, for instance, in that scene we talked about earlier where he's in the overpass, the sound of the motorcycles does not start until they enter the frame. Which means uh, we didn't hear them coming at all, and only things in the frame matter. Okay, so that's interesting. Another thing that happens is the soundscape doesn't have the full reality that would exist in the world. It only has the key sound that you're supposed to hear or think about. Um, Again, when we're like walking in the Western town, each shot uh, showing what the town is like from Eli's point of view 
he only really hears one thing. He hears that baby crying. He hears that guy slurping that soup. This guy bumping into that other guy, right? But he doesn't hear the rest of the town. It's kind of muted, right? So it's because right, it, he's using his ears to get the landscape. Yes, it it's yes. Is that what you're saying? We're creating a sort of echolocution, a location. Exactly. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah, and I see that. I it's see that. it's a subtly done thing. Like, and it feels. No, very I didn't pick that up. I legitimately didn't pick that up, but that's a good point. It feels very stylish. Like it feels like a hyper stylized decision, mm-hmm. but it's actually not just that. It's it's really more of a narrative decision. Um, and just so you guys understand what we're talking about, this is the opposite thing that would happen in a horror film. In a horror film, uh, you would hear lots of things you can't see. The entire world of the film is available to you sonically, but you can only see certain things, and so you start to feel like, where is it? Where is it, right? This is the opposite. The sound world doesn't exist. It only, only what you can see exists, which bizarrely in our mm. brains kind of hardwires us to feel like uh, we are able to map sonically what this world is from that. Uh, it's very interesting. It kind of also, in a, in a funny way, sort of like harkens back to those old spaghetti westerns. Because the spaghetti ah. westerns didn't, the spaghetti westerns were they're called Mid-out that because sound yes yeah. they were they were called that because they were shot by uh, Italian filmmakers, and they would not record usable production sound. <laughs> they just didn't right? care. They yeah. didn't care. So like they would record just picture, and then later on they would add sound, which is why you get so many uh, scenes where the sync is really bad. Right? Like if you watch yeah, like. Good, bad, and the ugly. So good, dude. Their lip syncing so is good. like, what? Why is it like that? Because they didn't record production sound, right? It's so fucking punk rock. I love yeah. it because it's just like, I don't care. And it's just like, it's just, I want to get the visuals. Why? Because look at how cool this place That's is. Correct. America looks really cool. That's all these Italian Americans doing this kind of stuff. And then they, <laughs> and then they're like, just going off for no reason, just making, like, calling their shot. I bet no one's going to care. If it feels really dubbed because we have like, I don't know, an actor saying stuff and just say it in Italian, but like my lips will be making, you know, Italian words and it's just like, yeah, we'll overdub it. We'll fix it. It's fine. It'll be fine. No one will give a shit. And they were right. It actually adds to the charm of Spaghetti Westerns. It does add to the charm of them. Uh, It makes the visuals pop out a lot. Because it's sort of all you have. It's noticeable, but yeah. it like doesn't care. Yeah. That's that's one of the kind of beauties of it. I don't know. I just like that. I agree. I think it's very charming. I think everybody who's watched a spaghetti western kind of has to embrace that idea, and it's fun. Yeah. But also, yeah. just notice that like they don't do that much sound design either. You know what I mean? Like, not only do they not do much with the lyrics, <laughs> or not the yeah. lyrics, the the dialogue lines. They don't do that much with like basic sound design either. So you only really hear the things that they want you to look at, uh, and, mm-hmm. or they or you hear the music that Ennio Morricone right, wrote. Right, those are the things that you mm-hmm. hear. And this is sort of, in a way, harkening back to that uh, and sort of reinforcing that idea of this western. Now they also use the music idea, but they use it in a different way, right? Which is that he is listening to his i his iPod. Uh, and by the way, he has the click iPod so that he knows when he's cycling through things. Uh, that's why he picked that iPod and not a new one. Um, Just have it on shuffle. Yes. Well, right. He, that's what he should well, do. Well, he's got a great memory, so maybe uh, not. Well, we're going to talk yeah. about that. Uh, yeah, right. Sure. Uh, but he does have the click one. I think that's why. 
So mm-hmm. uh, part of how they justify this decision is that they'll often put music, like he's listening to music that sort of gets us through scenes so that we don't have to hear the actual whole world. So that's like a way they're justifying doing it. Um, so dumb. It is kind of dumb. So and they dumb. pick songs that because are like, Because if why? he's literally yeah. listening to music, that as you've proven, uh, more or less they're trying to say... Uh, that that's how he interacts with the world is some form of like echolocation. Yeah, so that's why would why he do he's that? He's a good fighter. Right. That's how he's daredeviling this shit. Uh, if that's true. So he's going to walk through a tumultuous, hard to go like traverse terrain with many, many guys, uh, bad people who are trying to murder you at any instant, like to surprise you. And you're just like, Hody hum, do do do, listening to my iPod. Right? Why would he do that? It's just like that's why would he do that? Completely agree. Uh, uh, I again, I think sometimes the filmmakers were just like, hey, whatever. Uh, they yeah. wa- they wanted that they wanted that cool tune in here, so the the song right. goes in right, which is like why. Um, but I will say one decision that's kind of cool is the score itself, uh, which we get sporadically, but you know we do get it is very much of the sort of echolocational reverberant soundscape, right? Like, mm. uh, it almost sounds like a whale's call. Mm. Um, again, implying, you know, this is how we hear, this is how we see things in this movie, is this sound. It's through the reverberation time. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's subtle, uh, but they are doing that. So, mm-hmm. in conclusion, look, Abe, I felt just as offended by you. <laughs> As uh, as you did by this decision, because even if they had meticulously proven it, like in a sixth sense way, I still wouldn't believe it because no, that couldn't happen. Uh, and the thing that makes me laugh the most is the idea that <laughs> at the end of this movie, he doesn't have the Bible, no problem. He's just going to recite the whole thing from memory. Can you know you, he's making have that can shit Can you up, even dude. imagine what that Bible is? Can you yeah, even imagine what's in that Bible? Man, that'd be so many great jokes to just read passages from Eli's Bible. Like, yeah. oh my God, it'd be so good. Right? Yeah, just like, uh, I just I want Malcolm McDowell, who's the guy who's like yeah. scribing everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> Malcolm McDowell. Just reading a passage uh, to some children. Orange Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, he's like just writing it down and they're just like, are you just listing things that you hear right now? Bitty, <laughs> this chapter Exodus, my brother. Like, yeah. And then I hear the seagulls. Yeah, we're in Alcatraz. There's a bunch of seagulls. There's the holy seagull yep. came down and bequeathed something. Uh, hold on. Remember, yep. yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just want like a, just like a. You know what would be great is okay. So credits hit, and then they have a uh, <laughs> they have a gag reel for all the mistakes that like it's still in in character. Like it's not like Denzel breaking character. It's like <laughs> it's Eli like messing up fumbling the Bible. For, like yeah. oh, I forgot that word. Uh, yeah. What was it? Was it this? Wait, was that was that? <laughs> Joshua was a guy, right? Joshua was a guy, right? Yeah, hold on. He was and they're guy. just like, we don't know. You're making shit up from our, you know, from our standpoint. You're just like make, saying wild, <laughs> wild things. Anyway, for uh, a little while, the nation of Israel also, is just though, shitty. <laughs> anyone who's old does remember like yeah. biblical stuff because it yeah, just yeah, yeah. happened in one generation. Right. Like Mila Kunis's generation is the generation that can't read. 
because they stopped reading. This is a wild movie for so many reasons. Mila Kunis' character, you notice that she did not come up in this summary much because uh, like it, they didn't care about what she was. Like they they were just like they so don't care. Let's put the let's put the you know the starlet in the movie, and she's kind of just. Uh, there to be a tag along and have some cool moments, and then yeah, and then they uh, and then at the end they're just like, and now she's gonna go in and be like the new Eli, like no, yeah, good. And luck. I'm like, where did you learn? Like he must, like he has daredevil powers. <laughs> like, how? What are your powers? How can you do any of this stuff? And like, I don't know. She, it's just she it's doesn't. A lot. I don't think she even totally knows he's blind. Does she? I don't think she does. Yeah. And she she does one cool thing, which is she lo- throws a grenade like really well, like perfect throw. But it like comes out of nowhere. She hasn't done anything up to that point, And she doesn't do anything after that point, really. And it's just like, and now she's like yeah. the new badass in town. And I'm just like, ah, you got to earn it, man. I really want it. That sounds cool. That's a cool idea. Let's, let's do it. Uh, but you got to earn it, right? Yeah. You can't just say stuff you can't just say words and they're true what's interesting is like make them true yeah i like the i like the artistry of some of their decision making like like i like the spreadsheet of the things that they were trying to do some of them um but like they let too much stuff in that feels like it's countermanding it because they wanted to be they wanted wanted to do a badass movie exactly and i think that's so I think very well done. I think you brought up some very key points, points that I like, I missed a bunch of things and you, you brought it, you caught them. Uh, so kudos to you. I think this is, if anything, just like one of those cases that shows that even if you aren't the greatest director, uh, cause you're distract, probably in my, my argument here is because of what you just said, cause you're distracted by ways in which you want to make the move. You want a scene to happen but you're not like justifying it from a story point perspective. Like you're just like, I want it to look like this and I want an explosion and I want this and I want that and I want that. And you're just like a kid in a candy store, which directors often have that problem. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's great because it's totally motivated and they, they justify it. They put in the work, even the people who are just distracted by this stuff still have a good, like good bag of tricks in which that they can employ on the audience in order to make you feel one thing or do another thing. So inconsistency seems to be the, the cross that they had to bear here. Yeah. I think they had, um, they but had, they did good tactics, right? I think all the tactics you named are right on. Yeah. I liked, I liked the, I liked the parts of the movie where it felt like they were really trying hard to do the premise. Uh, I yeah. also feel like they probably had some pressure to like make the movie feel like the movie poster would look, you know, right. like, like the things I don't like generally are all things that would be about making the movie seem cool. Like the mm-hmm. Gatling gun. I don't like the cat thing. I don't like Mila Kunis's character. I don't like, uh, and, but I think those are all things that would go on the movie poster, right? Like, or go on the trailer. So, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if maybe they were a little hamstrung by, the need to make a movie moment out of this, that this, mm-hmm. this honestly kind of quiet story. It's kind of a quiet yeah, story. It should be small, humble, subdued. And it felt like it wanted to be bombastic yeah. and like sin city or something. Right. And it's like, ooh, ooh. it doesn't need to be. Uh, yeah. Uh, give, 
<laughs> I'm the Hughes brothers. Give everyone aviator glasses. <laughs> now, I will say this one thing about Denzel in this movie. When you go back and watch and like, let's assume he's actually blind. I think you can appreciate the very fine line that he has to walk to try to make it work and make this person believable. And I think he does a pretty good job. Like, uh, like he has a difficult time with like basic things. Like he has to look at stuff, or will notice that yeah, he's blind. There's so many times where he like he looks lurches, at stuff. He literally yeah. looks over like concrete in order to see those that that couple yes. get killed. Uh, and he's like, and then he hides behind because he knows that they're around. And they'll see him, which means he knows like the contours of the slab that he's hiding, which behind. is not believable. Uh, it's not believable, right? It, it's a problem. It's a problem that like I I can't say for sure, but I suspect came from both the director and the actors. At some point, were like, "Look, we're just get, like it's going to be this amount of good at this, and that's it." And like, so they were like, <laughs> "All right, fine." But I think Denzel's still trying pretty hard to do little things like feeling things with his hands to supplement this idea or like mm-hmm. breaking eye contact at weird times or mm-hmm. using tones of voices that don't match the movie that you think you're watching. Like his tone is always kind of a little different than you thought. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing something interesting in the movie. I think he deserves some credit for it. Uh, I think the reason people like this movie is because they like the idea of it more than the movie itself. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't speak for it. Maybe we'll get some comments like, dude, Book of Eli rules. Here's all the reasons. Great. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, I won't be. Yeah. I mean, you, can, sure. you can send that to Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't mind. If you're going to send me, like, here's why I like Book of Eli, I'll read it. Sure. Why not? I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, I was glad I watched it. I, I kind of want to watch more Denzel movies for this because I he's a uh, man. He's a riveting actor. Mm. Uh, mm. Like, he's so interesting. Uh, yeah, let's have a Denzel party. Yeah, like I again, I really wish I could have found a good premise for Flight, because that movie is uh, like I felt like new territory for him. Um, like like he certainly explored things like pain and addiction before, but like that movie, he's kind of harnessing a lot of things he's good at in this totally new, out of control way that I really liked. Um, anyway. Uh, rarely do actors impress me so much that I'm like, I need to just go watch a bunch of things they've done. But man, Denzel, he's uh, let's watch Training Day. I love Training Fences. Day. I love Training Day. Back Although back. Fences, I didn't like as much. I think he directed that too, right? Um, I think he I think did. So. Yeah, I think he did. He was great in it, but I didn't like the directing as much. Um, Training Day is great, but also a little sillier than you remember. Yes, like, it's very silly. Yeah, it's a little sillier than you remember. I remember. Yeah, okay. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Uh, All right. I just... Good job, my man. Thank you. Good job. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Thank you. Uh, I'm trying to do this type of thing where just a reminder to myself for all the film analysis and, you know, especially coming from me on this episode, film criticism, the Hugh brothers convinced Warner Brothers pitchers to give them $80 million dollars. And they turned it into $160 million. And so even though I did not like this movie, I have to admit to myself to become wiser and and better and more mature. Uh, 
Good job, Hughes brothers. Yeah. Well, I think that you can't under you can't underestimate the Denzel factor in that, right? Like, if it, oh yeah, like I think even if you picked a different, they did it. No, they knew. If you get Denzel, this movie is going to work, and they got him. Yeah, like if you put a they different actor in there, I feel like I can't imagine another one that would make this work. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah, it was successful. Well, they probably will reunite. You know, in a few years and make some other weird thing. Right? They're not even if that they old. Aren't, if they're not doing the prestige thing. I, oh, I God, still I think hope they're that doing that's it. on the table. Yeah. <laughs> it's still on the table, dude. Where are they both right now? Show me a picture of Show both of them right now. One of them's yeah. in a cabinet waiting for right. the other one to come home. It turns out they're actually a quartet, right? There's four of them, and the, but they're living as Jesus. twins. Yeah. It's it's like yeah. Inception prestige. Yeah, dude. There's so it's many like, Hughes. There's so many. We gotta go deeper. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> Hughes brother. You just like fly right. in through their mouth, and there's a, three more of them in there. Yeah. God. Sounds great. I love your ideas. <laughs> I, I have a few. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. You were... Uh, Thank you for your uh, for making your points, but also for your supplemental insight here. I loved it. I love you. I love y'all. I love you more. Beautiful Sunday boy. Aw. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!